Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons. Their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. What is going on? I'm Heath. And I'm Monkey. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa90. We're coming to you every single day from the Copa90 Clubhouse in Paris. If you're around, stop by. And we're bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 World Cup in France. And this is what we have for you today. Uh, we hear from Chelsea goalkeeper Anne Catherine Berger. The man, Ellie, is bringing you everything you really need to know about Spain and South Africa. Plus, and first, we have a little recap from last night's games. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. All right, so the five things you need to know going into your day. Number one, I am at the Parc de Prince. Monkey is at Ibiza. Uh, therefore, I decided to go to this match. I wanted to go to the U.S.-Chile match, so I'm here right now, and it's been an incredible experience. But the number one that you need to know is that the U.S. handled Chile with class, with composure. We played against a very scrappy and physical Chile team that I think is going to be uh, a positive thing for the U.S. in the long run to have to play against a team that were kicking them, hitting them, making the game difficult all day long because as they go further into the tournament, it's going to get harder and harder, so I thought this was a good thing for them today. Number two, give Carly the armband. She got the captain's band today, scored a brace, and that's what makes her incredible because she stepped up, put the captain's band on. Yes, she missed a penalty, but was instrumental in getting the U.S. into a comfortable position to see out this match the right way. So give her the captain's band against Sweden. Number three, and this is my favorite piece of news for the day and something that you need to know. Thailand scored their first goal, and yes, they lost 5-1 to Sweden, but after they scored that goal, they celebrated, they were excited, the coaching staff was, was enjoying it, and it just feels like it brought a lot of personal pride to the team, as well as hopefully to Thailand fans around the world. Number four, and this is in other news, Mauricio Sarri is on his way to Juventus. Paul Pogba has pretty much put in a transfer request to leave Manchester United and Argentina have lost their Copa America opener against Colombia. Another uh, telltale sign that perhaps the reign of Messi and Argentina might not live up to winning a major tournament. 
And finally, looking forward, China play against Spain, South Africa play against Germany, Nigeria play against France, and Korea play against Norway. So much to play for. The first games for the final round of the group stages, all kickoffs happening at the same times as their group counterparts. So much to lose, so much to gain. Make sure you guys are tuning in. Let's get into the rest of the show. Here is an inside score and everything you need to know about South Africa. Making their Women's World Cup debut at France, South Africa is certainly one of the tournament's lesser weights. Heading into France, ranked 49th in the world, the second lowest ranking of all the 24 teams competing. So things are going to be tough. And their performance in the recent Cyprus Cup friendly tournament didn't help their hopes, with the Banyana Banyana, as they're known at home, suffering heavy defeats to North Korea and Finland. And despite them being the only team in their group heading to France, they finished bottom. But South Africa are here for a reason, qualifying off the back of a spirited African Women's Cup of Nations 2018 performance that saw them go all the way to the final, where they took Nigeria, the continent's powerhouse, who they actually beat in the group stage, all the way to penalties in the final, losing in heartbreaking fashion with the final spot kick. Whilst getting out of the group might be a bit too much to ask for this time around, if South Africa can forget their recent form and find a way to channel their heroics of last year, they could pull off an upset or two. But when it comes to South Africa, here's what you really need to know. Inside Inside score. If South Africa's recent pre-World Cup form was cause for concern, then Coach Desiree Ellis' World Cup squad selection has really got people in South Africa scratching their heads. First, there was the inclusion of 18-year-old Sibulele Holwene, still a student at Pretoria's High Performance Centre. She'd only made her senior debut in a 3-0 defeat against the USA days before the squad was even announced. Then, there was the inclusion of the uncapped goalkeeper Mapaseka Mupuru and 19-year-old defender Bongeke Gumede. But what really got heads turning was the omission of Banyana Banyana legend Umpumi Nyandeni, who's been part of South Africa's setup since 2001, becoming the team's second most capped ever player with over 125 international appearances. The much-loved Mpumi has been an integral part of the setup for the past decade, playing a role in the team's 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games campaign and converting one of the penalties in the shootout of their African Women's Cup of Nations final against Nigeria. In fact, Mpumi had become such an important and recognised part of the African women's game that she was given a role in a fever campaign alongside Ronaldo, Drogba and Messi for improving health through recreational football. Whilst coach Ellis told the media that selecting the squad had been an agonising decision which meant she hadn't slept for days, her words will be of little consolation to Mpumi, who after playing a role in four failed World Cup qualification campaigns, now misses out after finally succeeding on her fifth attempt. However, the only player with more caps than Mpumi has made the squad, but that was of little doubt to anyone who's been following South African football over the last few years. You see, Janine Van Wyk, with 159 caps, is the most capped player in South African history of either gender, and isn't just a brilliant defender, motivational captain and three-time league winner. At 27, she also founded her own football club and has single-handedly contributed more to the women's game than anyone else in South Africa. Forming JVWFC in 2013, the club was set up by Van White to identify, develop, improve and expose female football players. Initially consisting of a mere 13 players, in six years it's gradually grown to boast a remarkable 60 players in the setup. And most impressively, the 2016 season saw the club beat Giants, Mamelodi Sundowns, Palace Super Falcons 
and Croesus Ladies for the first time and go on to win the league. Whilst the club has only contributed two players to this World Cup, the wider impact of Van Wyk's actions will be truly felt in years to come. And if that's not enough, on top of the club, Van Wyk also founded the JVW Girls Football Development Program in 2012. And the program currently boasts 3,000 South African girls actively participating with a stage to showcase their talent and be identified to play at higher levels. For many, it seems to be an all but impossible task for the South Africans to get out of the group. But regardless, Banyana Banyana will walk out in France, proud in the knowledge that whatever the result, thanks to their inspirational run at last year's African Women's Cup of Nations and their captain's work off the pitch, a properly competitive South Africa is only a tournament or two away, and France 2019 will stand as the beginning of a brilliant era. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. They're in a tough group. Yeah. Very, very tough group. No points at the moment, but the group's still wide open. So Spain and China both on three, Germany on six, and obviously they play Germany. If they can nick three points from them, then who knows? Yeah, that was all written and researched before the tournament started. So like Mpumi, I think uh, her name was, left off the roster in like questionable fashion, bringing in a player that was relatively inexperienced. All of that obviously a lot more relevant now that they're on on zero points and the thoughts of what could have been. Yeah. Still not out, but like... They've had um, some pretty good battles, though. I don't know if, like, the points, like, reflects the the matches as such. But Germany have only scraped by 1-0 on both wins. Yeah. So you never know. They might get a point from it. Or three points, sorry. Or even a point. Do you think if South Africa finish with a point? It's a, it's a, I mean, these are... Africa Cup of Nation finalists in the last Africa Cup of Nation, usually one of the couple dominant in Africa. Is... I mean, do you think that would be like a success? No, no. It's not for them. Not one point. No, they would definitely want to win a game, not draw. Everyone comes here to win, I think. Yeah. Um, but how are you today, Heath? I am good. You're, you're, you're leaving us soon, I aren't know, you? Just yeah. for a short time. Yeah. Where I are fl- you going? I'm flying to Ibiza sh- after this podcast for a gig. I'm going to go play. And then I'm flying back tomorrow, and I think I'm, I'm going to be back in time for the for the for the game for the evening game. Okay. So, yeah. so you didn't have it in your rider to fuel up the PJ and get us all on that for a little one day trip one day for podcast recording. Fun? No, yeah. afraid not. Okay. Continue if you voice notes so if you want from from the club. Yeah. So you're playing in Ibiza. Yep. And it's at a like a venue or like a festival. No, it's like, it's like a club called Eden with a with a label called Tool Room. Okay. So yeah, I'll be there. And then I have to disappear one more time during this. Sorry, guys. Okay. So we're going to have a special guest uh, for tomorrow's episode. You then. are going to have a yeah. special guest. Tell us who it is. Uh, I can't say yet uh, because <laughs> I'm not totally sure. Uh, I was actually really nervous about getting somebody else in. You build up a rhythm and then somebody else goes in and then I have to like Start research again. and like listen to a bunch of reels and you know, go out to coffee with them. Not that that's a bad thing. I'll yeah. go out to coffee with anybody, but it's just more of like finding how you find rhythm with anybody. I don't know if people who are listening know, but you and I first, I mean, we, we'd gone to coffee and stuff, but our first real, we didn't have like a bunch of rehearsals. Our first no. one was the recording of like the pre-tournament episode. Yeah. We went for coffee like once. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And you got a, you got a matcha. You remember my order? Something, yeah. I got an well, you ice got a juice. Matcha. We went twice. You got a juice one time. 
That's nice that yeah. you remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've got a great memory, which is not a gift. So anybody tells you that a good memory is it like, oh, wow, that's a gift. <laughs> You're like, no, no. That means you don't forget the things that you want to forget, right? Going back to yesterday, my 6-1 or 5-0, whatever it was against Mexico. You don't Can't remember? Forget it. No, <laughs> I, I would love to. But yeah, I remember that. Or you remember drinks. Everyone's drinks. Yeah. You'd make a great way to. Well, yeah, it's a very niche thing. Uh, I don't remember anything else other than like what everyone drank that day. So I can go back to like 1989 and be like, oh yeah, you had the, you had the Sprite. <laughs> yeah, at, when we were at McDonald's. Like, you know, like that'd be the. At 3 a.m. But the, the reason I have that memory, by the way, is you know, my little brother won a year supply of Coke when we were a kid. Why? Do they do the McDonald's Monopoly game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So my brother, we were trying to like fill out the, the whole board. Yeah. And it was during the 96 Olympics. And my brother just took it off of, like peeled it off of the uh, French fries, freedom fries. What, what did they call them? It, you weren't allowed to call them French fries for a while at some point. They called them free, or they called them f- freedom fries. Some, yeah, yeah. It was a thing between the US and France at one point that they stopped, they started, stopped calling them uh, French fries. It was like a joke, but okay. you p- peeled it off and it said you want a year supply of Coke. What that meant was they gave you 52 12 packs, but not at once. You got them in coupons. So then you'd have to go and there's like a, there's like a redemption value. So you had to pay, I think five cents or 10 cents per can is like a recycling right. thing. Um, this was in Oregon, so they 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 actually recycled. Recycle, uh, <laughs> but yeah, fifty two. And by the end of the year, we hadn't even gone through it all. How unpleased were your parents? Probably extreme. I mean, we're four kids, so it I'm probably all on, on some coke. yeah on some level it was probably pretty good. I'm all <laughs> jacked up on Mountain Dew. Yeah, like uh, on some level it was great. They have to buy uh, any. Like, that's true. We were still at an age where we really enjoyed drinking soda. Actually, in in Oregon, they call it pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They do call it pop in the UK. I think some people do. Yeah. I think that's well, it's sort of pop, team. right? But soda they call pop. it like if you go to the north, like Minnesota and stuff, or or the northwest, they'll say pop. Like, can I get a pop? Did you used to drink fizzy drinks when you were like playing? You know, in that Man City documentary, I saw Red Bull in the dressing room, and I thought that was a bit weird. Red Bull? Yeah. Yeah, but there's Red Bull everywhere. I mean, a match on match day, you're gonna get you're gonna get a lot of people having Red Bull. Really? Oh yeah. In like really? Yeah. Why? Well, if you were to ask Red Bull, they would say that there's outside of the caffeine and, and sugar, there's other like beneficial nutrients that come inside of a Red Bull, depending on which Red Bull. I mean, we have Please Red Bull fridges ex- in the clubhouse and there's flavors that I've never heard of. It doesn't mean they're good for you. No, it doesn't mean they're good for you. But I'm saying if you're looking for energy, like I've, I've probably had Red Bulls in before like the game? 30 or 40 matches of my career. No way. Yeah. You- or like a halftime where you just need that spike. Jeez, I've never had a. I feel like it would give me a bit of a panic attack during a game. Well, I was never. A, I was never a coffee drinker until probably three quarters through my career. I didn't have coffee or tea. I was really surprised when I saw Red Bull in the tra- in the changing room, but clearly that is a thing. But you guys have the the little uh, tabs, energy tabs here, like Dex- Dextro. Like uh, that was a big yeah, thing when I was yeah. in Scandinavia. They they had that all the time, and in, in a drink, they put it in the water. Is that a like Barocca? Is that the same thing? No different. But it's like a sugar, caffeine, and electrolyte mix. Oh, Dextro. Mix. Yeah, I know what Dextro is. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They're like tabs, right? Yeah. I just I saw them at the pharmacy a couple of weeks ago, and I, I saw that it was like this, definitely like the similar or same company that exists in Scandinavia. And that was a big, big thing when I played there. And then Red Bull started to become a thing. Are there any other like surprisingly unhealthy things that players do that people would be unaware of? 
Joey, like Joey, Joey Barton stuff. type people. <laughs> like, what? How far do you want to go? Why was with this? No, I mean, no. It's it's more uh, probably dietary like things. Like people, yeah. uh, I had a, I had a teammate on the national team that always had a Snickers bar at halftime. Yeah, I remember you telling me about this yeah. the other day. I was like, what? But, but why a people, Snickers? People bar? want they what they want. When you get into a certain routine within your career, you're not always thinking about the health benefits of it you're trying to think of like some people get really hungry do you ever get really hungry at halftime during game yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. so i'll I'll, I'll smash maybe some like nuts or something a lot of people have a bunch of different things a lot of people have banana yeah i have banana well scandinavia a lot of people wear that have snooze in play matches with snooze in their lip yeah that's um, a vice that i think is is pretty prevalent it's becoming a big thing in the premier league actually i body yeah i read an article that said that it's it's becoming a massive issue amongst Premier League and championship players because the Scandinavians are bringing it down. And it is like they train with it in, like, yeah. a, like a pouch in their lip. Hmm, that's odd. Yeah, imagine having a Siggy like just on training. Well, they used to, didn't they? I remember going to, um, I, got, I got shown around uh, the Emirates by an old Arsenal player. And he was just talking about like back in the day, they used to just um, get like the public bus to the games and everyone be like, all right, mate, and, and stuff. And he'd be like, you know, it's not the same as it used to be at halftime. We'd have pork pie and a fag. <laughs> but now uh, they by have the way, for, for the US audience, explain what that means. Oh, I mean, it, 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 that could oh, yeah, be very, very well misunderstood. So just. So a pork pie is like a, a small, very unhealthy pastry, like thick pastry with. Uh, minced pork in it okay. um, surrounded by like jelly which is like fat I guess and then a fag is just a cigarette okay yeah so that's yeah. what they'd have just to clarify yeah pork um, pie and a cigarette I, I played with <laughs> quite a few smokers I remember one time we were in a national team camp and we were doing fitness the day after a match either it was like a recovery runs or I didn't play and we were doing fitness mm. And we had one of these coaches who was just like, oh, I'm going to beat everybody and ran, ran fitness with us. And then he disappeared after like a minute and no one could find him. And we were like, where did he go? We, he was doing these runs and he was like bragging about how he's going to beat us in all these runs. And then when those, that running finished, somebody went to like the bathroom, like a little ways on the other side of the pitches. And he was hiding behind the building, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a few cases of players being caught. Having he's a for, he was a former like, le- like legendary player. I mean, people will figure it out if they want to, but it, yeah, he was just back there smoking a cigarette, like literally gave up on the running and then just went somewhere and was smoking a cigarette. When I, when I got back into football after like a really, really long break, I joined a low league team just to get back into it for a season and people would be chugging cigarettes at halftime and at the end and I was just like, <laughs> this is hilarious. It was like Sunday, like real Sunday league stuff. Yeah. And yeah, people would just be like halftime, <gasps> come off. <laughs> Smoke a cigarette and then they'd be they'd be fine. I've always loved the argument of like, yo, it opens up your lungs. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, that's it's a, it's like the most universal thing of somebody who plays sports <laughs> and 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 has a vice, which is like they find the health benefit in. They're like, yeah, but look at it from my side. You know, <laughs> it opens up your lungs, or it's like it's got vitamins in that. Um, so we have got a icons package, and this time it is from Anne Katrin Berger, Chelsea goalkeeper. Hashtag Copper 90 Icons. My name is Ant Katrinberger from Germany and play for Chelsea FC Women. My first meeting with the ball was when my father played Sunday football and I think from this day I just knew that I want to play football. So I started with the boys, obviously in my home, um, 
town in Eislingen. I played with the boys for around seven years, I think. But then I went to a girls' club or women's club. After a while, they actually put me like um, one half in goal and one half as a striker. After a year with the women, they were like, okay, we have to keep you now in goal. From there on, I was just a normal goalie. I got a phone call from Potsdam. They're looking for a new goalkeeper and they see a lot of potential in me. And for me, that was amazing because uh, Potsdam was one of the best clubs at this time in the world because they just won the Champions League. It was just a dream came true a little bit. I played two years in Paris. Uh, it was not easiest while there because they had um, a good goalkeeper from Poland. After these two years, I just didn't enjoy it because sometimes I felt like not as respected as I want to and then after that I was like maybe I have to take a step back and then after Paris I went to Birmingham I saw a lot of potential in the English league because um, there was a lot of movement I really enjoyed it to play there because um, it's just like a different culture they respected me like I put a lot of uh, hard work in there and um, I think I improved a lot I've been diagnosed with cancer. It was a shock for me at the beginning because um, as a professional footballer you live a healthy lifestyle because uh, otherwise you can't perform the best out of you. After the doctor told me there's a, a low risk that I can't get rid of it. So, And for me at this point I was like I'm not like one of ten to can't get rid of it so it was a hard time i'm not gonna lie but i just wanted to get the best chance i can have and that was um after uh, the doctor told me um was like two weeks after i had to do operation and then after that maybe it sounds a little bit silly but because they opened half of my my neck, um, I felt like my head is falling off after I got my movements a little bit back and um, it was fine again because as an athlete uh, you're not used to it if your body is not working the way you want to yeah it was tough because I never had a big injury before after that I had to do a radioiodine treatment. I was training after three weeks after the big operation, obviously just jogging and everything. And then after that, I just wanted to play football again. And I pushed myself a little bit harder because yeah, I just don't like being apart from football because that was my whole life since I was four. So it was a little bit strange, but after that operation, I just came back stronger and I just appreciate everything more. I had a good comeback from all this because I think after going through things like that, it makes you stronger. It makes you realize what you actually can achieve and um, where you actually put your boundaries and stuff. So you can always go higher and... That was my um, little bit like a wake-up call that I can do better. Obviously, it was an honor after a difficult time to be uh, in the top 11 of the league. 
uh, because we have such incredible goalkeepers in this league. It was a big achievement and uh, I think I don't know if I could have done it if uh, that wouldn't happen. It was just another push. It was, yeah, it was incredible. My biggest well, achievement um, is um, coming back from cancer and uh, win my first game with a clean sheet. Definitely, that's one of them. Then also playing in the Champions League final with Paris against Frankfurt, making it to Chelsea. I still think this team can go far. Obviously, we didn't make it this year for Champions League, but yeah, I think this team has a lot of potential and uh, I just can't wait for that journey as well. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. What an inspiration. I know, what a story as well to bounce back from that. It must have been a really sobering time for her. Absolutely. But also to hear her put it into perspective by saying a memory being her comeback match, right? That should in itself be a pretty big step. But she said she had a clean sheet on that first match, (laughs) which is such a player's mentality to not make it about something other than her performance on the pitch. Like it wasn't good enough to just come back. Obviously, she talks about surgery and going through all these things and then immediately adds like there was also a clean sheet involved yeah so yeah that, that's actually a real like athlete's outlook on it isn't it it's like not only did i just come back but you didn't score against me either by the way yeah try um, harder yeah <laughs> yeah three weeks after treatment as well she was back in training that's crazy yeah and went on to to, to make the league 11 that first season yeah. back which is pretty crazy yeah really yeah cool. it's a shame we won't see her in the champions league but i am sure of it uh that we will see chelsea in the champions league so have you ever been to a women's chelsea game i haven't nor have i i need to make when they moved to king's meadow which is where they play their games now i used to live five minutes from there and then the, the year that they moved there is the year that i just happened to move away to like the other side of london which is a bit it's of what a, you do when you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah, move away, yeah. away from the Chelsea fans, yeah. away from them. But they um, have a really good, really, really good following down there, um, which is nice to hear. And they revamped like the whole stadium because before it was um, AFC Wimbledon played there for a little bit while they didn't have a ground. Basically, AFC. Do you know the Crazy Gang? No. You heard the Crazy Gang? So AFC Wimbledon were a men's football club, which were well known for being pretty aggressive in their play. I think they played in the Premier League for a little bit. They definitely won the FA Cup. 
And they had, um, oh, what is his name, right? He turned into like a Hollywood movie star. Vinnie Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had Vinnie Jones in their team. And there's that famous picture of him like grabbing someone's balls yeah. behind him or something. So really, really aggy team. But anyway, they ended up uh, falling apart, Wimbledon, and moving to Milton Keynes, which is like miles and miles out of North London, north of London, sorry, and renaming themselves MK Dons. And so every, all the fans were like super pissed off. I know the story of that part yeah. of it. Obviously, we're leaving a lot of the details out of basically a team taken from them and moved to another place yeah. for an owner who wanted to, you know, go somewhere else. It's a pretty tragic story. but Yeah, but then the fans basically helped raise the money again to restart AFC Wimbledon. And that's where they played. That was a bloody long-winded story, but there you go. That's but, a really good story, though. Yeah. It's important. It's, it's hard to not could be like oh yeah and then this team went away but like that's something you get in the u.s with some of the younger teams they they move franchises and things like that but for teams who've been around forever that is a massive massive deal yeah and then vinnie jones became juggernaut in the x-men yeah it all worked out <laughs> it worked out yeah. fine worked out fine um but anyway back to Anne katrine berger amazing sick story really really cool she's not actually in the tournament is she unfortunately no which would be a shame, but I'm sure she'll be watching. Yeah, so they'll play South Africa. South Africa will be trying to get anything out of that match. Anything. And then Korea, Norway. There's a lot of good games on today. China, Spain, Nigeria, France. Do you find that a team like South Africa, who are likely out of the tournament, can rally themselves in a way that is playing spoiler like play this like yeah. in a way you get to play sort of the antagonists against a big nation that could hurt them in trying to get first in the group yeah i think so because at the end of the day like even if they don't make it out of the group stages they still want to make an impact whether that be in a last game where they know they can't get through to the knockout stages you would still on a world stage want to make an impact, especially against a team like Germany? I guess my question is more specific to the motivation before the match. Right. So not making an impact. You know that you want to go out there and perform. Yeah. But is there something happening where it's like, at a minimum, we can at least ruin their day. At, at a minimum, we can at least make <laughs> their journey hard type of thing. Uh, I've experienced that before as a player. Yeah, I, don't, I definitely think that that is a thing. Like in the uh, dressing room, if you have nothing to play with in terms of you're not going to make it through, you would be like, let's just screw their day up. And that would be a kind of like a hype thing to do. When, we, when was it for you? Anytime we played in tournament play against some of the smaller like Central American countries, we would always use this mentality of they're going to play this like it's a World Cup final. Right. right? There are a number of reasons we are by far the favorites. We are supposed to win this. They're playing away from home. They are going to come out flying because nothing would make them happier than to play spoilers of, of like this, this massive upset yeah we also we lost our first two games in 2009 at the confederations cup so we played italy first then we played brazil lost both of those then we played egypt in the third match we were on our way home like the organizers were discussing where we are all flying booking flights all these types of things because we lost our first two games yeah but we knew going into that last match that we had a six goal difference that we had to make up so we ended up beating egypt three nil and then Brazil beat Italy 3-0. And we went through to the knockout rounds on one win and a zero goal difference just by chance. But we were at a point, too, where it was sort of this whole, like, at least go out, compete. We didn't actually think it was going to happen. It was like 1-0, 2-0. And then we started hearing that there was 
one nil, two nil in the other game. Yeah. And we went through and then we ended up beating Spain in the semis and going up two nil against Brazil in the final to lose three two. Hey, if if South Africa beat Germany as well, like that they actually still have something to play for. Like if they beat Germany and they'll be on level and then they win how many games have they got left? One, well what's two. their goal difference though? Yeah, their goal difference four, is uh, minus four. Minus three. Minus three. Yeah, it's maybe not. So they've given up four goals, scored one. Yeah. Uh minus three. I'm not sure what the actual tiebreaker is. But there's two two teams, right? We'll get third place into the knockout round. So six groups plus two third place right? No, that would be twelve. Four teams. Is it four teams? So if there's six groups, the first two go through, that would be twelve teams. Yeah. And then you need 16, so four teams. The next four best third-place finishers. If you really want to laugh, come down to the Copa Knightley Clubhouse. Come down to the bunker and watch me and Heath try and do maths Quick really maths. quickly. And Oh, you know yeah. you know that, Junior? Yeah, Quick I'm math. just... You're cultured, dude. Yeah, I travel. <laughs> I have the internet. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so another game today is China versus Spain. And this is Ellie with Spain's inside score. Now, in 2015, Spain, or La Roja as they're known back home, headed to their first ever World Cup with hardly any expectations from pundits to fans, and they performed as such, finishing bottom of their group with a solitary point. In the aftermath, head coach Ignacio Carrera was fired after 27 years in charge, and his replacement, Jorge Vilda, embarked on a process of stark renewal, bringing in some new faces, ideas, and tactical changes. And it didn't take long to see a momentous change in results, including direct qualification for the Euros, where the side had a best-ever run to the quarterfinals. Now four years on from that first World Cup, Spain, today ranked 13th in the world, have qualified for their second, as the only European team not to drop a single point in qualifying, winning 8 from 8, scoring 25 goals in the process, and conceding only 2. With the peerless Jennifer Hermoso up front, who was joint top goal scorer in qualifying with 7 goals and 9 assists, it's fair to say that expectations are vastly different to four years ago, and getting out of the group will be seen as a bare minimum. But when it comes to Spain, here's what you really need to know. Inside, Inside school. Whilst on the pitch has been a remarkable progress in Spanish women's football over the past four years, off the pitch, it's been arguably more impressive, thanks to huge investment, resources, and support from the country's FA, fans, and La Liga clubs, who are finally awakening to the potential of the women's game. This season alone saw a record 71 matches broadcast on television. A campaign called We Speak the Same Game, starring male and female Liga stars, launched as a foundation for future marketing efforts and 10 women's games scheduled to be played in major Liga stadiums. The results spoke for themselves, where this season alone, 60,000 Atletico Madrid fans packed the Wanda Metropolitano to support the side against Barcelona. More than 21,000 turned up to Real Sociedad's Anoeta Stadium for the Bas Derby, and more than 48,000 turned out to an Atletico Bilbao Cup game, a bigger attendance than for any Athletic Bilbao men's team home game the entire season. Now, thanks to their funds and stature, Spain's traditional powerhouse clubs have gone to great lengths to lead the way in support of the women's game. And evidence of their investment paying off can already be seen this season, with Barcelona becoming the first Spanish side to ever make the final of the Women's Champions League, and Atletico Madrid still in their third straight Primera title. But ironically, the biggest and richest club of them all, Real Madrid, who despite claiming to be the club for all of Spain, still refused to fund a female side. Whilst it's rumored that this is due to the notoriously proud club president, Florentino Perez, refusing to face the ignominy of his club needing to start in the regional divisions and work their way up, 
The fact of the matter is, for less than the weekly wage he pays Gareth Bale, Perez could fund the annual budget of a women's team in Spain's top flight. However, Perez's reluctance to invest in the women's game doesn't represent the entire Real Madrid fanbase, as evidenced by the unbelievable story of Madrid CFF. Founded by businessman and die-hard Real Madrid supporter Alfredo Ulloa, Madrid CFF came about as a result of Ulloa's daughter, a promising goalkeeper, being scouted by Atletico Madrid. Refusing to let her play for the rivals of his beloved Real, but without a female Real side for her to join, Ulloa funded and created his own team, who would play in the same all-white kid of Los Blancos. Starting in 2010, Madrid CFF rapidly moved up the divisions and were promoted to the top flight for the 2017-2018 season where with daughter Paula Uloa in goal, Madrid CFF drew 2-2 at the Wanda Metropolitano in front of more than 22,000 fans. While she didn't make the World Cup squad, Paula, her dad, and the story of Madrid CFF are shining examples of how regardless of gender, the passion the Spanish have for football is boundless and can make anything possible. Something the national team know all too well in the four short years that seen them go from group stage easy beats to potential finalists. I think it's crazy how Real Madrid do not have a women's team connected to them. But you can also see how there is some legitimacy legitimacy to that rumor of why Fiorentina Perez doesn't want to make one because they'd have to start in the lower divisions and he just wants to be able to buy a team and make them the best immediately. I I don't support that whatsoever. I think it's stupid because I think it's detrimental. But it's also great that Real Madrid fan Ulloa was just like, well, I have the money. Yeah, that's I'm going to make a team, and I don't want my daughter to play for Atletico <laughs> Madrid, so I'm going to make a team that plays in Los Blancos colors. I wonder how that works, though, because Manchester United created a women's team, and they st- went straight into the WLS2, which meant Blackburn didn't get promoted, as our producer Natalia was very furious about because she's a Blackburn fan. But if you were a, a team, right, and you were in, a say, a 12-team league, mm. and somebody said, well, we're going to form a new team, and one of you guys is going to get pushed out now. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think there'd be some barriers in place to prevent that on a certain level? Like maybe if they slipped in during a year that a team decided to back out or or what about the teams in the promotion relegation that have fought their way up? Now you're just going to add a team to the league? Yeah. The women's period women did in the UK is weird, right? Because the lower down you get, the more confusing it gets because I think what they're trying to do is there's no set number of how many teams can go up and could go down they're trying to make each league competitive as possible so for example I play in the fifth tier and usually one team might come up sometimes but last season two came up because they were both very good so they wanted to make it very competitive and only one went up and no teams came down so it's like there is no rule really it's I mean a lot of it is about Commitment and resource too, right? Can you, as you go up, you have more commitment needed, probably more financials needed, more demand and less flexibility in terms of rosters, commitment to training sessions, playing against improved talent. I I know the Argentinian uh, Super League or whatever it's called in Argentina was doing a thing for a while where it was trying to re-strengthen the first division so it was dropping two teams down per year and bringing one up and slowly trying to sort of like weed teams out make the league a little bit smaller and increase the competition which then in turn pushed all those fringe teams into the second division which improved the second division and sort of like so on and so forth of trying to just strengthen each division and kind of cut it down to creating more or uh, more parity within the league and less 
It, it, Disparity it, is that the would that be the opposite of parity? Disparity? It, don't ask me. Mate. <laughs> Just my learned vote, something my right on the spot. <laughs> it makes sense in terms of like trying to make each league stronger, but coming from someone, as in I'm talking about myself, who who played <laughs> in a team who's come second both years in the league and we know that we can compete in the league above it's frustrating wait so you can't go up no I can't, we can't go up I was like I can't go up but like you, I am the team <laughs> if you finish first can you go up yes so just first yeah that's a tough journey yeah that's ruthless yeah and there's no other way to get up then other than win the league you have to win the league yeah yeah that I, I, that can be I, I can see how that's frustrating yeah another quick point which I want to mention before we have to wrap up 60,000 Atletico Madrid fans versus Bar- Barcelona I spoke to Tony Duggan and she was playing in that game and I think she scored the winner. Wow. I don't know if it was 1-0 or 2-1, but she said it was the best atmosphere she's ever played in front of in her life. I can only imagine what that's like. I it can't. must have been crazy. <laughs> yeah. It must have been nuts. Just very alien. What an alien atmosphere for those girls. I mean, you're just seeing it happen so quickly though. Like in Mexico, you're starting to see these 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 show up to these matches. In Spain, all of a sudden, overnight, you're seeing these derbies become massive on the women's side. And I think it's incredible moments. And the scenes that are coming out of those on the streets, around the stadium, and all those things are, are, are like epic. They're legitimately yeah. epic. They're really cool. Those are the things that you dream about when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. So especially for Tony, who's obviously been playing football all her life, to finally reach a stadium like that must have been so overwhelming. And then to score the winner, I don't know what I'd do. I think I'd just strip naked and run around the field. Do you think you would understand the... <laughs> the <laughs> man, that just sunk in when I was in the middle of my... Uh, do you think you, in real time, you understand the significance of that? Like, do you appreciate it? I don't, I don't know if you always do, though, because you get to that stage and you're still competing for something. And yeah. so I don't know if you stop, like you see in the movies where they stop and you look around the stadium like on the, the goal films where like uh, Santiago, I think his name is. Yeah, from those yeah, goal yeah. Films, I remember those like, does like a circle at the half line around the stadium seeing all these people. Like, I don't think you actually do that. You're just like, you can hear the noise. You're trying to take that in and like figure out how you're going to have a good performance so you can try to win. Yeah, I think uh, for her, like when she was talking about that um, environment specifically, we'd had quite a long conversation. She, she was like super chatty, like great person. Um, but, that specific topic, she literally did not stop smiling for like the whole three minutes That's so talking cool. about, it, which was really, really cool to see you. Um, I have a few day in numbers for you very Ooh. quickly. Let's do it. Number one, 430. 430 would be the amount of traveling fans from a certain country. Jodie Taylor scored her first goal for the Lionesses since... April 2018, the other day, in a World Cup qualifier against Bosnia. And that was 430 days ago. Wow. So, big up, Jodie Taylor. Uh, one more really quickly. Uh, 61. 61. Man, that's a tough one too. Teach me something These are this. vague. Yeah, these yeah. are very vague, but good facts. There were 61 years between the first Men's World Cup and the first tournament for women. Wow. Yeah. That's actually a really... It's not a fun fact. It's a fact. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's a fun fact. Yeah, it's not a fun one. Uh, it's just a fact, though. But that, I, I had no idea. That's really cool. Yeah, I had no idea either. So big up the production team. Um, so that is it. That is it for today. Football Inside Out. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a review. And subscribe to the daily newsletter that's going out during the tournament. Head to copa90.com slash WC19 and click or tap on Copa90 France Daily to sign up. And get in touch because we would love to hear from you guys. Football inside out at copa90.com. And tweet us using the hashtag, hashtag copa90insideout. Bye-bye. Bye. Copa90, football inside out. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.